Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. You are just joining us. Uh, last week we started a new series called Mary's Christmas. Yes, that is a play on word, a great dad pun, if you will. Mary's Christmas. But the sole focus of this series is to explore Christmas simply through the eyes of Mary. Like, have you ever thought about this whole Christmas thing and the whole story? Like, what was it like for the mom of Jesus and her story? And so we're taking this passage, we're taking this uh, look through what Christmas would be like specifically for her, and we've learned quite a bit so far on our journey. So to catch you up, last week we looked at the idea that Mary was probably 13 to 14 years old. Most theologians believe that. And what's a 13 to 14-year-old in our uh, culture is a 7th or 8th grader. So a 7th or 8th grader, I know, right? A 7th or 8th grader is now given this huge responsibility. But in Jesus' culture, in the culture of the time, a 13, 14-year-old, our age, 7th, 8th grade, was a young adult. So she had just entered her time of womanhood, and she was pledged to be married to Joseph, and many of us know that part of the story, and she had not been with a man. She was a virgin. And so she gets this message from the angel Gabriel, who comes to her and says, here's something I want to tell you. Uh, You are going to conceive, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be the son of God. Now, I mean, this is we kind of take it for granted because this is our Christmas narrative, but I just want you to put yourself into the mind of a 13-year-old girl that you know, okay? Put yourself into the 13-year-old mind of a girl you may know. You are, have never been with a man. You are a virgin. You're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be the son of God, okay? Because a lot of times we make too many pictures with Christmas time of you know, plastic Marys and plastic Josephs that glow at night, and we have them in nativity scenes, and in our stories, depending on which cartoon version you have, like Mary's super happy about this, and we just kind of have all this, like, other kind of narrative around it, except for the fact when we get to the Word of God, we have to make this. This is a real person in real time, in a real an account. So a 13, 14-year-old young Mary has not been with a man and said, you are going to have the Son of God. And what was so fascinating about our story last week as we explored this is that her response was, okay. Her response was, let, it, let the word of God, let the word of the Lord become true. This is her exact quote, 138. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, if I asked you when your situation to some huge, audacious, scary thing that God is calling you to, what would be your first response? And last week, I hope I don't disappoint you if you missed it. They were all disappointed last week, so people new to this, I'm going to disappoint you this week. My response to God's big, huge, scary things is no. My response is no. 13-year-old Mary's was Yes. When God calls me to huge, big, scary things, my gut reaction is always no. When God called me to church plant, my answer was no. 
When God had called me and asked me to be part of something bigger, of joining ministry and giving up my dreams of being in the NFL or Major League Baseball on the, on the sports medicine team, I said no. I said no all the time, yet I still sit here and I'm a pastor of a church plant after 21 years of ministry. My response is always no because I am always afraid. My fear drives my response and my spiritual immaturity drives my response. And so when I look at this account, and this, we all had to deal with this last week, right? When we look at this account, a young 13-year-old, maybe 14-year-old, betrothed to be married when given the account of, will you be, not even will, you will be, excuse me, the mother of the Son of God. And she's like, okay, let's do this. Who is this young woman? Her faith is so huge and, and then I put it in context of where we are today, and in context of where we are today, why does it appear that our faith seems so small? Is it that God doesn't call us to big things? Is it that we don't necessarily take the time to really engage and process what God could be calling us to? And could God be calling you to big, huge, audacious things, but we're too busy with our lives to even listen or hear it? Because what Mary had on the cusp of everything is Mary could have lost everything. She was betrothed to Joseph. She would have potentially lost that relationship. And as we read on, we actually learn in other accounts in the Gospels that Joseph heard about this and he was not going to shame her. So he's going to divorce her quietly and break the relationship because he doesn't want to shame her in that. But He's like, dude, she's been with somebody else and it hasn't been me. And so that was what was going to happen until an angel came and told Joseph, like, bro, don't do it. This is legit. This is from God. This is actually going to happen. She's going to have the Son of God. So this is all happening in the background. She could have lost everything, and her answer was yes. That is a huge, huge, huge statement to us today. For us today, we enjoy our Christmas and our lives safe. We like to have everything safe. We like comfort. We like everything to be about us. We are egotistical. And even in our faith walks, think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. Even in our faith walks, we tend to be all about us. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is for me. God loves me, which is all true. I'm not saying he doesn't. But what, how are you playing into God's story? Does God bring you into the family for a purpose greater than yourself? And are you a part of something greater than yourself? And God, you get to be a part of what he's doing. And that's what we're seeing in Mary's story, is that he brings people into his story, and we get to be a part of it. This young girl, there'll be no one like her ever again in human history. She was the only one ever of all humans ever created by God who'd be given the honor, the ability to say, oh yeah, I'm Jesus' mom. That's just her. She's the only one. Oh yeah, I had the son of God. That's me. Like, you know, if you had the son of God, please raise your hand. She's like, me, that's me, right? Like, she is the only one in history. And so she gets to be a part of that. But what we've learned and explored is that you also get to be a part of God's story in the unique fashion in which you are made, in the circles in which God has put you in. And that's why Mosaic Church exists. 
We exist to make disciples that make disciples to make disciples. That you are going not just sitting here and living your own life. We go here, we grow here to go there. And so that as we are growing and learning, our purpose and intention is to take how God's transforming us out into the world and to show people what it looks like to actually follow God. That's why we do what we do. And so now we're going to dig into this young Mary's story and see her response, which was, yes, whatever the Lord has said to me, let it be fulfilled. And we're going to look at the next passage and how she responded. And it's very interesting if you've read it through these eyes. It's interesting how Mary responds because she doesn't go to tell her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. She runs to her cousin's house. I know, right? Like, like you'd think, like, boy, I should go tell the guy I'm about to be married to that I'm pregnant. And we're actually going to learn that she doesn't do that, that, that she is going to go and tell her cousin. And why is this important? In the passage before our passage of last week, we learned that her cousin Elizabeth is going to be a mother as well. We learned that her husband, Zechariah, who is a priest in the temple, the angel comes and says, you are going to have a child. This child is going to be uh, important. And this child we learned out is John the Baptist, and he's going to make way, the, uh, make straight the way for Jesus who is coming. But Zachariah's like, dude, there's no way we can have any children. First of all, we're super old. We're old in our age. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, has been barren her whole life. There's no way that we can have children. His response was, yeah, right. And the yeah, right response then leads him to being muted so he can't speak until the child is born. But so now it is happening. And so the Gabriel, the angel, tells Mary that your cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. It says this, Luke 1, 26. says this, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So Elizabeth's pregnancy is proof that God's word is always true. God's word never fails, for no word from God will ever fail. So the proof is going to be now, in another way, Elizabeth's pregnancy, which was impossible, Mary's pregnancy, which is impossible, are going to come together at the same time to look at our God of the impossible. God of the impossible, just as Mary, who is a virgin, is going to have a child, Elizabeth, who is barren and too old in her age to be able to have children, both of them are going to have children because God has said yes. Now, Jesus, the virgin Mary, Jesus was born because God had put the child in her. Elizabeth, Zechariah, natural ways of having the child, but impossible and impossible comes together to say that God's always good with his word. So Mary's response, the proof that a barren, a barren woman and a virgin are going to have a child, is now our scripture text for today. And Mary's response is, i got to go check this out. i got to check this out. We're in Luke verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. We're going to break down our passage into a couple of uh, pieces today. We're going to start in Luke 1, 39 to 45 in your Bible apps, iPads, um, and also on the screen behind me. It says this, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. So her first response at the time, Mary gets ready and she hurries to Elizabeth's house. Again, she doesn't go to Joseph. We don't see that in the text. She hurried. She got ready and hurried. So those two words is she packed her stuff to go on a journey. So she got everything together and she takes off to go visit her cousin. And as she gets there, she has a greeting. And I don't know what the greeting is. But this is just Jason. So I do this a lot, like just in my little mind bubble, like how this story goes. She walks in there and she's like, Elizabeth, you are so pregnant, right? Because she's six months, right? And, and I'm a dude and I would never say that, right? Like You don't say that to a woman. But she walks into the room and she's like, girl, you are so pregnant. Like, oh my goodness. Because at that realization and the greeting of Elizabeth, something happened in Mary's system here where now it goes from, this is so legit. She can't have babies. She's not supposed to be able to have babies. And Gabriel told me that she's going to have a baby. And, and he said, I'm supposed to have a baby. And so she's like, ah. And Elizabeth's like, ah. So there's this greeting of like, what's going on? Right? Cool family reunion. I'm sure all of your Christmases look like that. <laughs> so, so Elizabeth comes in. And her response then, being six months pregnant, is just absolutely amazing. She has this word here that as she enters and the voice of Mary's heard by the baby inside of Elizabeth, the voice of the mother of Jesus, this baby leaps. Now, I've, I've felt babies kick, like, right? And you could feel leaped is a big word. Like, this child is going crazy inside of her. So I imagine she's like, whoa, girl, I got to sit down for a second, right? Like, this child is really starting to move. And then Elizabeth, it says this, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes over her, and that's very important to note. We'll talk about why in a second. And then she starts to speak these words. We are post-resurrection church, which means Jesus has come he has died and paid the price, and when he has died and paid the price, he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And when we look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not among the people. He came in instances. So there's moments in when the Holy Spirit would come, and we read that all throughout the Old Testament and pre-Jesus. There's moments with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's at work, but we see them interact with people uh, just in spots. And now, post-resurrection, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to anybody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, now has the power of the Holy Spirit in us to be transformed because we are no longer seen as sinners. We're now seen as redeemed because of the work of Jesus. And that's the joy of what we call the gospel, that God has died for all of us. And so now that the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, we forget we don't even know what that's like because we are now in the redeemed or the post-resurrection. We now have the Holy Spirit available to transform us, to speak wisdom, to be more like Jesus. But Elizabeth, the Spirit comes on here. And why this is important is in the Old Testament, when that's said, we have to take note because something is going to come from the mouth of God through Elizabeth. And so from the mouth of God through Elizabeth, these words are spoken. I want to go back to this again. Listen to this again. And see what she had said. This is verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sight of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, we don't know exactly what was said when Mary greeted, but we can assume she didn't say, hey, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. We don't see that in the scripture. She's like, ah, like there's this, like this moment of Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And she's like, the baby jumps. And she's like, whoa, 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 you, you are the mother of my Lord. Who am I to speak? Who am I to be in this presence? You're the mother of my Lord. You, you are the one. My baby's jumping all around, girl. You are the one. How powerful that would be in that moment. And Mary If she had any doubt in her mind, something changed because she says, blessed is she, this is verse 45, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. How does Elizabeth know that Mary believes that promises are going to be fulfilled unless God himself is speaking through her? Blessed are you, Mary, that you believe that this is all about to happen. So we don't know what her belief system was like when she left. We don't know when she started and she's packing her bags. We don't know how she felt or what she thought. We don't know. All we do know is this, that she packed her bags. She went to her cousin's house. She sees that she's six months pregnant. At some point in this journey, Mary fully believes that this is all going to come true. Let it be as the Lord, let your word come true. And when she's there, she's like, you believe that this is going to come true. That's God himself speaking. That is so powerful that she would actually believe. Now remember, this is someone in the earlier passage that God's favor is upon her. God has just put his favor upon Mary. God's favors on her, and as she's there, and she has the ability to have this journey with God, and she's like, I just trust you, God, on this. Open heart, humble, let it be so. She comes and she sees uh, her cousin who's pregnant, and, and she just has faith. Faith, we don't talk about that enough, man. We don't talk enough about our faith journey. Faith in our culture is something that is private and what you believe is what you believe, and what I believe is what I believe, and we're both wrong, so who cares, right? Like, <laughs> faith. When we talk about faith in our culture, we're talking about this idea that I believe in a higher power, a higher thing, a higher whatever, that somehow my mind likes to accept, and is acceptable for me, and I like how this works its way out. That's our culture's version of faith. Like, I have faith in this, and you have faith in that, and I have faith in my government. Well, good luck with that, right? So, <laughs> faith. That's what that term means. We're going to flip the script on what faith means. Faith, when we talk about it from a biblical, God-driven concept, is saying that I believe in the promises of God regardless of my situation or my circumstances. I believe that what he said is going to come true, I believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe simply this, that when God says something, it's going to happen. And in our journey, this is so beautiful about this, God knows that our faith is so small, 
He understands that our faith is weak. He understands that faith for us is circumstantial. And in the, in the Bible, and this is why we read the word of God, guys. This is why we read it. He is going to prove to you over and over and over and over again that what he said come true. Over and over again. We like our evidence. We like to know it's real, right? We are material, physical beings. We want to see proof. And faith is believing in something that you cannot see, you cannot test, but God still gives us proof. So Mary gets proof that, hey, she's pregnant. Girl, you're pregnant. He gives proof. But faith for us is that when we see something, we tend to say, I believe in that thing. When we don't see in something, we start to believe in something that feels comfortable to us. And so let me just correct some of our, in this room and online and listening to us, very, very, very poor doctrine and theology. Your thoughts don't matter, only God's. Your belief system only matters if it lines up with the word of God. The word of God is the truth of all that we have. Yes, I can bend things to say anything that I want in any direction that I want at any time. But the truth is, is the word of God has been around longer than you. It'll be long way after you. Lord willing, God will come back soon. Jesus, come now because I'm done with this place, right? Let, we know that the word of God has been written for the purpose of us having a standard in which we find and know the true and living God. And that's our standard. Mosaic Church, we are never, ever going to bend on that. The day that we bend is the day I hand in my resignation. The word of God is truth. And my friends, I know that you have preferences. I have preferences too. There's things I like and that, you know what? There's things in the Bible I don't like. I'm like, ooh, that's hard. That really rubs against the grain of me. But God is God. We are not. It's time to take our spot not on the throne and off the throne. This Christmas, Jesus gets the throne because he alone is king. And so my faith, if it's built on my thoughts and my preferences, builds us into a culture in which it's always moving in with the tides of what people like and don't like instead of the word of God. The word of God, as our basis, builds the faith in which when life comes and starts to blow you apart, you have faith in the promises he has made. What are some of the promises that he has made? In the Old Testament, he said, I'm going to send someone to save you. We're going to call this person a Messiah. He's the one who's going to come and save you. Uh, he did that. Then in the New Testament, there's lots of promises. I'm giving the real like overview for you. New Testament, he says, here's the thing. My son of God is going to die as an atonement or the one paying the price for your sins. Okay? You can't save yourself God's son's going to do it for you. He's going to die and take your punishment. He's going to die, rise again, and come again. He did that. Not the last part. We're waiting on that. Now, the last part. He's going to come again. This time he comes again. He's not a baby in a manger. There aren't little camels and sheep and stuff around. This time he comes back. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And when he comes back, he's coming to wreck shop. His holiness is going to come through. We're going to wipe out all sin. Those who love me are with me. Those who don't are not with God. It's separated forever, either with or separated. And now that's a truth that we wait on. God has always made promises, and our faith is in the promises in what he has made, so that when I get to heaven, and you get to heaven, and he says, why should I let you in the, into my heaven? The answer is not, because I'm really nice. I've done so many nice things. 
You see, when I gave presents to people who couldn't afford them and I did all those nice things, like, and then we think, okay, if I could just fill my good cup more than my bad cup, I get in. That's not how you, that's not it. That's not the answer. The answer is this. You made a promise that when I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be saved. I would believe in my heart, confess my mouth that he is Lord, that he has died for my sins, has risen again, and that he's the king of kings. That's your promise. If I believe in him, I'm forgiven. So, am I in? Right? It's that. It's Christ and Christ and Christ and Christ alone. We can't put any other pieces into it. And our faith in that promise is what we stand on. And that faith in that promise, when you really believe in that promise, you're really, really humble. Because there's nothing you can do to get there. Doesn't matter how good you are, all the stuff you do. Everything we do in life matters, but it's not about the promise. And so our faith is so key to the promises of God that what he has said will always come true. And so our, our weak faith, when we don't understand, we read the word. When he says something, it comes true over and over and over again. The last part we're going to look at is a beautiful prose uh, some of you know this as the Magnificat, uh, beautiful Mary's song. So Mary's response to this is she has this song. And there's lots of different beliefs about this song. Was it really sung? Was it something that was just said? Uh, we don't know. We don't know exactly. If she was singing, we don't have the notes. It wasn't included in this manuscripts. But they, this is a song that's believed to be sung about what was happening to her. And what was in this beautiful song, there's two portions of the song. The first portion of it is her response to God and that he is making this promise to her. And the second portion of, of this is what God has done and what God is going to do. Let's look at the first part. First is Mary's relationship to God. This is verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Look at that word there, humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Kind of a weird statement to say I'm humble, and then like everyone's going to call me blessed. Kind of weird, right? There seems like there's a, a contradiction there, but absolutely there's not at all. Because Mary's status here is, who am I? I am a nobody. We learned about this last week. Mary had no lineage. She had no name. Everything that she was going to get was going to come through Joseph, who is in the line of King David, the most powerful, most well-known, most famous king of all of Israel. So everything was going to come. Her life was going to become important because she's marrying Joseph. And now she's realizing her importance has nothing to do with Joseph. It's because God is now going to make her important. And so she rejoices in this God, the one who has saved her. her his favor is upon her, and she starts to rejoice in this beautiful fact. Generations are going to call me blessed, so she could see this, for the mighty one has done great things for me. People will call me blessed because God has done great things for me. Not that I have done great things for God. You think if anyone could puff their chest up a little bit and strut around Bethlehem, it'd be Mary. Wait, make way, mother of God, right here, right? No room in the inn? You don't know who I am, mother of God, right here, right? 
Her humility in the fact that her God is bringing her into a story makes us start to ask the question, why are we prideful about anything? Because her joy in her heart is that generations are going to call me blessed. They're going to call me blessed because God used me. I want to be known that God used me. Do you want to be known that God used you for his story? That's not in our culture. That's not normal. What's normal is I want to be rich, famous. I want to have books written about me. I want to write books. I want to be on TV. I want, I want, I want. I want to be known for something I've contributed to the world. Which, hey, that's a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to be known for things that you contribute to the world. Hopefully you make a good impact. Definitely not a bad one. Good one. But what if, what if our goal as Christ followers is to flip that script that no matter what I contribute to the world, whatever I do, your job, your relationships, whatever, it's because God's using me and I want generations to call me blessed because of God using me for his kingdom. Imagine this, the day that you have your funeral, that we have to rent out AmFam Field because there's not enough, pe- enough room anywhere else we can think of for the number of people that you have influenced for the kingdom of God. And as we go on the microphone and we start to tell stories about you, the stories which we tell are not funny stories or like, remember that time when you know, dad drove through that garage? Like, not stories like that. But one after one, this line comes down to say, this person changed my life forever because he loved me. This person changed my life forever because he told me about Christ. And story after story. See, I didn't have a mom, but she stepped in for me. I didn't know the Lord. And they start giving this big, huge line, all giving testimony to God's greatness. And that generation upon generation will call you blessed because you were part of God's story. Now, Mary had a very unique story, but why do you believe that you wouldn't have a unique story? What if your great, 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 great grandkids call you blessed because of the work that you've done through generations and they know the Lord because of the great work that you've done? What if generations, generations of kids across the street at our neighboring school call you blessed because you've transformed their lives forever? What if, can you start to dream a little bit with me here? What if generations call you blessed? I knew this guy. I mean, he was super old, like probably like 45. I'm older than that. That's why I said that. And he just cared about me when no one else did. And she saw me when I walked in a room, even though I didn't want to be seen. And she fed me when I was hungry. And she helped me when I didn't have help. And we start to tell stories of God's greatness because our legacy is God and not us. That, my friends, is worth living for. Mary has a unique story. But why do we put her somewhere that God isn't intertwining our story with his and hers? That you can be a part of God's story that's so huge and so amazing. Now, this is really cool. I love where this goes now with this. It's so cool. Because Mary now moves from like this humble, loving servant into what God has done. Listen to this, verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has set the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She now responds with this whole thing, with worshiping God for what he has done. She starts to say, look at what our God has done. God, like, I'm here and I believe, I'm blessed, I'm part of this, but look at how great our God is. He has done everything. He is, look at how he has taken care of us. Look at how he's brought down rulers. And she starts to flip the script a little bit to say, look at how our God, his kingdom, is revolutionary. She starts to say, now look at how God, this is what our world wants, but look at God's kingdom. God's kingdom always takes the world and flips it upside down. It's an absolutely revolutionary concept to be in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is amazing, and God is always true, and he takes care of his people. I am just worshiping God for how awesome he is, but this is what's so crazy about this. She's prophesying or speaking about her son. She's speaking about Jesus, too. Listen to this. I'm going to put Jesus' name into the passage and listen to the works that Jesus has done. Listen, this is so cool. Check this out. Jesus' mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Jesus will perform mighty deeds with his arm. He will scatter those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. We see that in the Gospels, don't we? Jesus will bring down rulers from their thrones, but will lift up the humble. Jesus will fill the hungry with good things, but will send the rich away empty. Jesus will help his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God always has been. God always will be. Nothing is changing here. Jesus is now coming, but the story of God, the kingdom of God, has always been revolutionary. God has always done crazy, miraculous things. God has always said to our way of thinking and to our culture and to what we want, it's like, no, that's not the way of my kingdom. My kingdom is like this. But now this is the beautiful thing of Christmas. The kingdom of God is now here. The kingdom of God has gone from a place where he felt distant to now to the place he is among us. Emmanuel means God is with us. Emmanuel, when you see that at Christmas time, God is with us. So the God that was there is now here. The kingdom of God is not something that's distant or far, feeling far away. The kingdom of God is literally coming, and Mary is going to be his mom. Emmanuel is God is with us. From far away to here, God has not changed. His promises haven't changed. But now Jesus is coming to wreck shop. He is not coming for status quo. He's not coming to be a seven-pound, eight-ounce baby in a manger, and that's the end of the story. Jesus is coming for a purpose, which is to bring the kingdom of God, flip all of our systems upside down, and start a revolution of not a religion, a revolution of people who follow God, people who give their whole life for his kingdom and his kingdom's sake. Not for something to go through rituals. They already had the rituals. They already had stuff going on. He's flipping the script. And every time he speaks now in the New Testament, we start to say, man, he is really saying some hard things because Jesus came for that purpose. The kingdom of God is now coming. The kingdom of God 
is here. Emmanuel, God's with us. He's always true to his word. And Mary's song is such a beautiful reminder that in her everyday life, in Mary's case, she's just motherhood. God uses us for extraordinary things. I know you don't believe that because there's at times I don't believe that. Most of my life I didn't believe it. Who am I? I'm not good enough. 13, 14 years old, no lineage, no name to go by, probably going to lose everything when people find out that she's pregnant, leaned into the story of God and said, I'm all in. If you feel like you aren't worthy enough or good enough, buckle up because those are the people God always uses in the Bible. If you feel like you should be picked, those are the ones he doesn't. He looks for the humble, the broken, those who listen, who are obedient to his word. And Mary shows us this in a very dangerous, dangerous thing. Yet such an ordinary thing as being a mom, she's going to be a part of the story that's going to transform not only the world that we live in, but eternity. Because that is what Jesus came to do. He came to change the world. So today, as you start to celebrate Christmas, and we start to look at this song of Mary, both beautiful and humble at the same time, a revolution is coming. That baby Jesus is going to be the one who's going to change the world forever. We live on his promise that that's what he came to do. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.